Blog Talk Radio. Well, I didn't hear the bing sound, so it's probably because I have the microphone plugged in, but it looks like I'm on the air here. It's three minutes after the hour. This is the Great Spirit Relay Radio Report on the Smoke News Network from Los Angeles. Um, This, I believe, is the fourth uh, podcast that I've done since I left Santa Barbara on May 5th. This is David Williams. Um, conducting the Great Spirit Relay is a kind of a whistle-stop tour, not a walk. Not a, it's originally conceived in 1986 as the Great Spirit All My Relations Relay Marathon Walk and Caravan. Um, and it was conducted the first time to Big Mountain by my friend and teacher, Masao Natashi, 
disciple of Nichiratsu Fujii, the Gandhi's Fuji Guruji, and uh, I revived the project this year in order to bring this Great Spirit Relay concept um, to the White House to bring the message of peace, uh, to try to impact the president and the people that pay attention to these things, to um, kind of get with the program, you know, to kind of um, adjust their moral compass uh, towards the understanding that the truth is not a made-up thing that you get people to believe and that's what's truth, but that the truth is a real thing. And uh, those that understand this think that's a real simplistic statement and uh, why bother even talking about it? But uh, some people I mentioned that too, they kind of bristle and then they kind of argue and they kind of like, oh, well, you know, yada, yada. So those kind of folks I, I realize are caught up in this manufactured truth the, that's going on in the world that I see at the root of all the problems. And uh, I think there's no better example than what's going on with our president as a businessman and politician now and all these things. Uh, this is what goes on in society. People, you know, make up stories and they get people to believe it. They think that's what truth is. So that's why bringing the Great Spirit Relay, that the truth is a real thing and not a made-up thing, is the the core of it. And um, so we started, I started in Santa Barbara after a ceremony at the Tree of Peace on campus at UCSB on March 11th. It was conducted by Jose Munoz, the Mayan calendar keeper, who's teaching about the new calendar for the next 26,000 years that started December 21st, 2012. And uh, according to that calendar and his interpretation of it, um, the Mayan astrology stuff behind it, I don't understand it, but he came out in February of this year in 2018 and uh, actually uh this was February 2016 while the election was going on and said, well, from the Mayan astrology reading in this new calendar, uh, the cosmic identity inside this President Trump, the real personality that's being expressed through this human being that he is, uh, indicates he has the the, the qualities to uh, unite the nation in harmony. And um, that kind of clicked with me because uh, a couple of years earlier he had released for the first time in a message in Santa Barbara, um, the message of the Jade Princess that was delivered on June 21st in the year 1444, uh, based on information somehow, I don't understand, but somehow transmitted back in time from the year 2029 to the year 1444 on that date. And the message of the Jade Princess I'm sure it's longer than what he explained, but the message that he gave at that time, um, about three and a half years ago now, was that world peace, world peace starts on the earth in the year 2021. So I kind of put those two and two things together in February of this year and decided, well, you know, if, if uh, Donald Trump was going to be president during this time, and uh, there's going to be world peace starting in 2021. 
And actually, Jose has already scheduled a ceremony on December 21st, 2021, to mark the beginning of world peace. Um, so I figured, well, you know, that means uh, President Trump's going to have something to do with it. And uh, But he's on, seems to me he's on the way wrong track right now. His moral compass is being distracted off of the true north by uh, all kinds of things, pointing in almost the opposite direction. Uh, there are some good things he's done, I've heard from many people, and uh, but mostly he seems to be uniting the country against him. And um, so I thought, well, you know, I'll go ahead and try my best as a retiree on a very small income to take my summer vacation and do this great spirit relay and following on the pattern that we did with the Global Peace Walk in 1995, uh, walking from New York to San Francisco, a couple of dozen folks um, initiated that project initiated by Reverend Yusen Yamato, who's now in Taos, uh, Soto Zen uh, monk, and uh, supported by Felipe Chavez from the Rainbow Family and the uh, pipe carrier and Sundancer of Chief Crow Dog and his kitchen bus, and some other core group folks like Joe Stoops. Um, we conducted this relay, this, this Global Peace Walk, across country from Martin Luther King's birthday, January 15th, 1995, to June 20th in San Francisco, where we had the end ceremony with the Peace Pool that uh, was created in 1980 um, to someday go up in the lawn of the White House that sort of came to be known as the Rainbow Family Peace Pool. Um, which is now gone, rotted out, and was um, burned up in a sacred fire a couple of years after its last appearance at the 2011 Rainbow Gathering. So I've created a new, uh, after creating that one with Wave, my friend in uh, 1980, and introducing it at the end of the long walk for survival there to cross from the White House in Lafayette Park at the end ceremony, um, after he had, uh, well, this was with the, under the leadership then at that time of Chief Leonard Crowdog, the walk there at the end. And, uh, but there was, you know, dozens of, of the Japanese Buddhist monks following Fujiguruji, Michiratsu Fujii, all chanting and beating the drum, chanting the Namu Myoho Renge Kyo, universal medicine word mantra. Uh, and we introduced this blank log at the front of the people chanting uh, to the ceremony at the end of the long walk for survival there across the street from the White House with the hope and prayer that someday this peaceful would go up in the lawn of the White House and the president would be there agree and stand in a circle with the people and accept the message of peace that it represents. But over the years, uh, it's gone hundreds of thousands of people have overall experienced the presence of this, what I call the first White House Peace Pole, um, in various rainbow gatherings and other gatherings all over the country. Um, and a lot of people became very attached to it as like an art object or, you know, something that they really love just because of, because of whatever reason. But to me, it's always been just a symbol of the message of peace. And uh, in my view, it got carried away and taken off and misused by people adding their own 
interpretations of what it stood for to them and more or less it created a big hubbub and an argument and a lot of discord within the gatherings because some people seemed to worship it and some people seemed to hate it because the people that liked it wanted to put it in the middle of the July 4th silence ceremony and kind of usurped the energy of the silent circle and became very controversial. So um, now that it's gone, people, some people lament it, some people celebrate it that it's gone. But uh, I try to get it straight this time after experiencing the first time the Peace Coal Ceremony was brought to the Rainbow Gathering, brought to the United States really in an ecumenical form. Uh, the, the Japanese Buddhist monks following Fujiguruji um, commonly use the Peace Pole as a symbol, um, but it has their, you know, the Namun Yoho Renge Kyo calligraphy, and it has the um, maybe some other Buddhist scriptures on it, and then they put it up in one place and leave it there in hopes that a Peace Pagoda will be built at that place or nearby, that kind of thing. Um, following the tradition from 2,200 years ago, uh, where King Ashoka conquered the whole of the Indian subcontinent by violent and bloody warfare and uh, refused the message and persecuted actually the Buddhist monks during that time until one huge battle and uh, surveying the scene of the carnage the next day, he started thinking, you know, well, I don't know, kind of like, what's it all about, Alfie type of thing, and scratching his head and then somehow his mind changed and he became open to receive the message of peace, which he did finally from the Buddhist monks at that time and accepted it. And then he renounced violence and uh, implemented the teaching of peace and built many peace monuments and peace pillars out of stone and peace poles in that form all over the Indian subcontinent to memorialize this teaching of peace that enabled him by accepting it to renounce violence and implement a 500-year reign of no war, no crime, no violence anywhere throughout that area. So that's why the Japanese Buddhist monks uh, carry this tradition of the peace pool. And it's been adopted and, and kind of morphed in other ways. The, another teacher in Japan, uh, I'm not sure his background, maybe shaman type guy, has uh, in, initiated this uh, May Peace Prevail on Earth the Peace Pole campaign, which has become very, very popular, and there's a lot of them now around. So in different languages, they have that prayer printed on it. And so people understand more what a peaceful, quote-unquote, is. But um, after the retirement of the first White House Peace Pole we created in 1980, I decided that uh, it's time to create another one that would be maybe more effective the first one was had the calligraphy of the Dhamma Myoho Regekyo put on it there while we held it, Wave and I and some other folks, uh, for an 11-day vigil um, across from the White House in Lafayette Park, night and day. And uh, one of the monks came and put the calligraphy on it. And then uh, a native guy named Geronimo came and carved the four-direction symbol of a feather on it. And then... After we finished that vigil, it went to uh, Wave's brother's house, who car expert carver, and he put the the green Tara symbol on it and the eagle over the mountain, nice carving. 
And then gradually over the years, it got other carvings and symbols put on it. Some of them wore off or were taken off or fell off because they weren't stuck on there right. Um, like the crossed American and Soviet flags that my mayor in Santa Barbara put on in a like a lapel pin logo in the ceremony in De La Guerra Plaza outside Santa Barbara um, during the time of our sister city program with the Santa Barbara and the Soviet sister city of Galta. And we put that piece pull up there in De La Guerra Plaza in a ceremony with the mayor and a few people and all, you know, the TV news came, the reporters from the daily and the weekly paper came, but because so few people came, it wasn't enough oomph to put it on the news. But I've got pictures of it and I'll be sharing those. Um, I want to mention now that uh, I'm kind of going back and forth on this report, but a web, a, a Facebook page called Great Spirit Relay, and that's all run together, Great Spirit Relay. And on there, you'll find reports going back to Santa Barbara um, in May of every step along the way that's been taken on this Great Spirit Relay. First, it was just me driving my RV and then going to city to city and encouraging people to join me walking around the block in a drumming and chanting prayer to get the mayor, ask the mayor of the town to issue a proclamation and support. Like we got from our Santa Barbara mayor, um, Kathy Murillo, the first Latina mayor of Santa Barbara. And uh, she joined the ceremony with Jose Munoz on March 11th, along with the Chumash elder, Art Cisneros, and uh, a few of the community leaders and we had the prayer ceremony to empower this new peace pool. And uh, it, it had, uh, I, I started this campaign a few years ago, with the, called it the Rainbow Uprising Campaign Peace Pool, after the name of the 1990 week of events that we had with uh, Thomas Banyaka, the Hopi interpreter, and the Mohawk Chief Jake Swamp as a, to foment an uprising of consciousness to a higher level from which the solutions to problems can be seen. And uh, that's a video online on YouTube called Rainbow Uprising Campaign that you can find and look at. And the end day was the ceremony at the Tree of Peace on campus. It was a five-year anniversary of that planting. And Mohawk Chief Jake Swamp gave an explanation about the teaching of the Great Law of Peace and the symbol of that being the... Uh, not only the wampum belt, the purple and white symbol that's on this new peace bowl, but also on the, um, it symbolized, the tree of peace symbolizes the great law of peace. So this is the, the other, uh, the second symbol on the, what I first called the rainbow uprising peace bowl, rainbow uprising campaign peace bowl that I brought to, uh, 2015, I believe it was, to Sacramento and offered there for the Governor Brown to put it up on the lawn of the state capitol. But I brought it in the context of the Occupy National Gathering at the capitol, and my emails didn't get through, or for whatever reason, um, that piece full with, with, with three symbols on it got arrested, and the, the cops took it and maybe safekeeping until the governor besides about it, I don't know. But uh, the third symbol on it was the symbol of the Hopi Declaration of Peace. 
And this is the Thomas Pinyaka, the distillation of his message about the Hopi prophecy. And you can find all these things I'm talking about described in, in posts online at that Great Spirit Relay Facebook page and some websites that links you'll find in posts there. They're too long to read here. So that first Rainbow Uprising piece poll with the three symbols on it, the first version uh, wasn't accepted. It was arrested by the cops. And it was okay because uh, the dynamic, the kind of spiritual dynamic involved, uh, everybody with the Occupy National Gathering seemed satisfied that something got arrested. So and maybe unusual for an Occupy gathering, nobody else got arrested during that, those days of camping there at the state capitol. But I reasoned over the time that, well, maybe it wasn't powerful enough, just those three messages. Uh, the Hopi Declaration of Peace is a contemporary message. The King Ashoka's uh, example of the, the message of peace being accepted in ending warfare and violence 2,200 years ago um, is one, uh, the oldest symbol on the top of the peace pool, but the next one down, the Great Law of Peace, as Jake Swamp explained to us, this took place about a thousand years ago when there were five warring tribes in, that had been in bitter warfare for centuries in the northeastern, what's now the northeastern United States, Canada area. And um, the worst of them was the Mohawk, and that name even means cannibal in another tribe's language because they were the fiercest and they were cannibals at the time. And so this dude called the Peacemaker comes from across the water and there's a long story behind it, but I won't go into that now. And he brings the message of peace, of the great law of peace. And the first people he goes to is the Mohawk and they put him through some trials and tribulations before they listen to him and he passes the test. So they listen to him. And he relays the message of peace about the great law of peace and they accept it, no struggle, no fighting. And then it reached their hearts, and then they helped him. And his spokesman, Hiawatha, because according to Jake Swamp's story, the peacemaker had a speech impediment because he had the double row of teeth. So they brought the message of peace to the other of the five tribes, and uh, the last was the leader of the last tribe was a real grumpy old guy that called Tadadaho, and finally they got him to accept it by making him the, the keeper of the eternal fire that's at the central of what became the Iroquois Confederacy when all these tribes united under the tree of peace. The story goes they uprooted a great pine and buried the weapons of war under it and replanted it, and that symbolized the tree of peace. That's where the symbol the saying about bury the hatchet came from and then they started an eternal fire a central council fire of the grand council of the, the French call them Iroquois but they call themselves the Haudenosaunee the people of the long house and so that eternal fire has been kept going at the, for a thousand years now it's still going there in, the, in that area and um, so that's the second symbol on the peace pool that represents a, an example of warlike societies that, uh, when the time is right, just simply by hearing the message of peace or experience in some way, um, 
They renounced violence, they renounced warfare, and they united together. In the case of the Pauli Masoni, they were united together into a confederacy with a system of government that in hundreds of years later was examined carefully by Benjamin Franklin and the other founding fathers of the United States. And uh, in large part, the U.S. government was patterned, the system was patterned after the Iroquois government of the people, by the people, for the people. Um, but they left out the great respect for the great law of peace, which is in essence an expression, a depiction of the law of nature by which everything operates without fail all the time. If can't contradict the law of nature. It's like trying to contradict the law of gravity. It's just not going to work. But if people don't respect it and believe it's there and understand it and think they can make up uh, laws and enforce them by violence and threat of violence, they don't realize that the, the real truth is represented by this concept of the law of nature, the inviolably sovereign law of nature, and they try to make up the truths of laws of the land, then that's what creates all the problems. So anyway, this uh, experience motivated me in 1990 when I heard these messages and then um, John Voigt, the actor at the end of the ceremony at the Peace Flame, because we carried the Hiroshima Peace Flame uh, in ceremony from the Tree of Peace after Jake Swamp's message and installed it on the Eternal Flame at UCSB and John gave a nice message about the Hopi and the Chumash and the Iroquois and his experience and talked about the Hopi prophecy about the House of Micah, the United Nations, which hadn't been fulfilled yet, the opening the door to the United Nations for the indigenous people to speak their message. And then that flame, that Hiroshima peace flame, was carried across country uh, by the Global Walk for a Livable World in 1990. Uh, well, a couple of weeks after our ceremony in January, they started. Uh, I was able to get the Banyakia there to give them a blessing as they left. And by some uh, miracle, I was able to get him to the end of that walk at the United Nations, where when he spoke, uh, it was just following the president of the General Assembly who was there speaking to welcome the walkers with an assistant standing next to him with a briefcase handcuffed to his hand. And so Thomas gave his message and said that was a real good sign uh, towards opening the door of the United Nations. And uh, he would tell his elders. And and then um, a couple of years later, in 1990, well, a year later, in 1991, in October, Holiness Dalai Lama, who... Reverend Yamato had brought together with Thomas Banyaka several times in ceremony and years in between. Um, Thomas went to the multi-day Kalachakra ceremony in New York City and uh, several days of intense uh, prayer and spiritual practice and messages. And after that, uh, Yamato brought him to the door, eastern door of the United Nations and Thomas was able to meet the uh, Secretary General's secretary, John Washburn at the time, and ceremonially gave him the eagle feather of the Paho, these little fine like down type prayer feathers the Hopi used. And he had been Thomas had been given this in nineteen forty eight by his elders for this mission to open the door of the House of Micah. 
And so that's what was done in October of 1991. And then after that, I called John Washburn on the phone. And, uh, of course, the Baha'i people there at their center had helped a lot in this process over the years. And I asked uh, John Washburn, well, you know, please help anything you can do to find a way for Thomas to get in and speak. And he said, well, we'll see what we can do. But, uh, you know, normal rules are nobody except the member representatives of member nations can speak to the General Assembly. So the next thing you know, and, of course, other people have been working on this process for years, Judy Appleseed, who uh, we met here in D.C. Uh, in person this time and participated with us August 26th in our Spiritual Unity Summit gathering at Greenville Park um, and Council on the 26th of August last. Um, she had been working on this for years, too, with uh, some of the Hopi elders and done a lot of work trying presenting this idea that uh, they should open open the door to the House of Micah. So what happened was in 1992, there was just a lot of uh, walks and events all over the country um, for the Columbus anniversary. And uh, I participated for a while in one of them from California and joined them at the end there uh, in D.C. And apparently as a result of all that uh, publicity, well, they got um, the United Nations decided to make the year 1993 the International Year of the Indigenous Peoples. And then on those auspices, they were able to invite to speak to the General Assembly for the first time ever on December 1992. Um, 82 supporters were able to bring 82 elders from around the world, including Thomas Pinyaka and Orrin Lyons representing the Iroquois Confederacy, and a, a dozen or so of them um, spoke to the General Assembly, which uh, the story about that's online too. Um, I won't go into it all, but basically the message was to the United Nations, you know, you're ignoring the natural law, the law of nature, you're doing all these crazy things, and if you don't pay attention because of the fact that the mind of man is so closely connected, so powerfully connected to the to nature, that by by doing all these things uh, out of harmony with the, this law of nature, we're actually contributing to the creation of more and more natural disasters, more and more wars, more and more civil unrest and crime and strife that can be ameliorated by embracing. The, the 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 fact that there is a real truth and the truth isn't a made-up thing, and in the process of that, recognizing this is violating sovereign law of nature, depicted by the uh, great law of peace, depicted by the Myoho, the wonderful law, the central characters in the Namo Myoho Rengiko mantra and message, and. Uh, if the government does that, then, you know, things will calm down. Things will straighten out. And we can ameliorate these major problems that we're facing in the world. But, the, of course, nobody listened. And, and uh, But while they were talking, the greatest rainstorm in New York history was brewing, started to brew outside the window. And then overnight it got worse and worse. 
And then by the time they got to the next day, they had a uh, ceremony where all the 82 elders got together in a circle in a build, inside of a room in the building. To, Thomas called them together in a circle to make a prayer before they all went home. And right in the middle of that, the lights went out at the United Nations. The basement had been flooded by this storm. The guards came and said, well, you got to leave because the lights went out. And they said, we're not afraid of the dark. We've got to be doing a prayer. We're going to keep going. So they all lit their big lighters and continued with their ceremony around the circle. And by the time they'd finished, the rain had stopped. The lights went back on. That kind of connection, a total example of the right-on-the-spot connection, exclamation point behind Thomas's message and the elders' message to the United Nations that first time that they were able to talk. Then the next year they had the Cry of the Earth Conference and more and more the United Nations has been trying to work with the Native people or control them somehow by giving them various opportunities but not accepting the message. So all that goes to behind explaining more depth of the reason for this second symbol of the Great Law of Peace on this peace pool. So then in March 11th this year, because... All that wasn't powerful enough. People weren't interested to hear it or whatever. Then uh, I decided to add three more symbols. One is the created in 2005 when I organized from California a peace walk over at Christmas time from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, done by a few people under the auspices of Jerusalem peacemakers representing each of the three faces of Jerusalem. And for that occasion, a friend created this symbol representing the three faiths of Jerusalem united in peace. So I put that underneath the Hopi Declaration of Peace. And then this, underneath that is the symbol from the contemporary teacher in India, analogous to the 2,500 years ago Shakyamuni, who became known as Buddha, to bring out this teaching of the pure mind, the, the Buddha mind that we all have in our heart to open up to, that enlightenment. Um, and this uh, fifth symbol uh, created by Satya Sai Baba has, represents the unity of all faiths, and in the center is the, the, the lotus stupa, the lotus peace pole. It's like a peace pole with a lotus on top. Because when King Ashoka built his I call them peace poles if they're small and made out of wood or some other material like the may peace prevail on earth people do. But when they're bigger and they're stone, then they call them a peace pillar. And then when they're made in a dome shape with a spire and have a little bit of the Shakyamuni's ashes inside, then they call them a stupa or a peace pagoda. But uh, that's the unity of all faiths, spiritual unity of all faiths symbol is, is the fifth one. And then the last, the sixth symbol is the symbol that Jose Munoz gave us at that March 11th period of peace to install, which is from the new Mayan calendar. The last one that ended on 20, December 21st, 2012, had 20 archetype symbols um, that are all woven into how that calendar works. And then that cycle ended. And then another 26,000 years began, and the new calendar has 25 symbols instead of 20. And one of those new five symbols, I'm not even going to try, try to pronounce the name in the Mayan language, but it stands for for patience and peace and love. So it kind of looked like a Mercedes-Benz symbol a little bit, but 
um, that's the sixth symbol in the Peace Pool, uh, now called the Global Peace Pool, which was consecrated for this mission to go in the lawn of the White House at our June 20, uh, March 11th ceremony at the Tree of Peace in Santa Barbara. And that I carried along and uh, offered um, on display at the Rainbow Gathering in Georgia this year. Um, but out of out of the way of all the gathering, not to interfere with everybody else's thing, just people are interested can be drawn to it. If they're not, then I'm not to impose it. So, and then um, back at the Occupy National Gathering, um, one of the people there, the woman in Los Angeles, with the who helped me set up this radio show and helped out there in Los Angeles, Melissa Ballin, she got the inspiration to take these symbols and put them on something smaller, like a baton, like that you use, the relay racers use, a, a, a relay baton. So uh, then when I reactivated this Great Spirit Relay concept, it seemed logical to put the make a smaller version following on that inspiration as the global peace baton and have these six symbols on it. So I made a couple before I left and then ten of them at the Rainbow Gathering gave a few away along the way to Washington DC. Uh but we, when I went the Los Angeles wasn't very successful. I they got, tried to get sidetracked into commercializing the this adventure, which is, a, which is purely individual spiritual practice. The website or the Facebook page that Great Spirit Relay set up says it's a nonprofit organization, but it's not. I don't know how to change it. It's just an individual spiritual that I'm doing, inviting people to join, pick up the message, and go on from there. And uh, I'm doing this in the name and the memory of my beloved teacher, Masao Napashi, now, I met him after uh, my amazing experience at the Hopi land in 1976 and uh, learned about the Hopi prophecy then and the helpers that are going to have the sign of the sun and these two other symbols, swastika and something that looks like a four-leaf clover. When I came back from that adventure in the Hopi land in 1976, I met the Japanese monks at the place I lived there and Nepashi uh, was one and asked what it's all about. Uh, you know, what, what's the chanting and the drumming all about? Well, it's to purify, we practice it to purify our own heart and to bring, to try by that practice to be an example for other people, the same thing, and then that will bring peace on the earth and rebuild these peace pagodas. And uh, I asked him, well, what, what's your uh, name mean, you know? Masao Nepashi. He said, well, and in their language, you put the last name first. So the Japanese people call him Nepashi Masao. Well, at the time, he told me Masao means political man, and Nepashi means sun bridge, like rainbow. But then on this trip, I learned from Wave and from Nepashi's daughter, who came to join us, Wave and I after the Rainbow Gathering at, in Atlanta to initiate the Great Spirit Relay this year, walking from the Carter Center to the King Center in Atlanta on July 11th, um, Oceana Wren and Wave agreed and explained to me that later uh, 
Nakashi had explained that the word Masao in their language also means warrior. So his name literally means rainbow warrior. And uh, this kind of blew my mind because uh, the book called Warriors of the Rainbow so much influenced me. This 1962 book with the Hopi prophecy is the central chapter that explains about the mutual prophecy fulfillment theme that if you look at it from the point of view that all the knowledge from these various uh, religious leaders, the religion's founders and uh, holy men and women from the various indigenous traditions that have had these visions and dreams that have been recorded and passed down for centuries that, that predict things in the future, why they call them prophecies, um, and that if you look at them all, this book, Warrior of the Rainbow, says uh, in a certain way, and there's a chart in the book to compare them, if you look at they all came from the same source. This knowledge came from the same source, an intuitive source, not a reasonable source, not like add it all up and come to this conclusion, but somehow psychically they got this knowledge. Then it, it's reasonable to think that all the prophecies, that it's all, since all the ones that they've uh, said in the past have come true in common, it's reasonable to think that they'll come true in the future. So, anyway, that inspired me. And I can look at the clock and see that I've yammered on for a long time, so I'll try to speed it up. So we took the Global Peace Baton uh, from the Atlanta, walking from uh, King Center, the Carter Center to the King Center. And then Wave and I went to 15 cities along the route and walked around the block, beating the drum. Most of the time he was there, a couple of times he had other things to do and went off and met him and came back. And asking the mayors for a proclamation of support. Our mayor's proclamation in Santa Barbara, she read a treaty piece on March 11th, was uh, talking, mentioned about the great law of peace and the fact that the United States was, the system was in large part patterned after it and mentioned the peace poll for Jerusalem because the other objective is to take this same style of peace poll, can be made with the graphics downloaded off the Internet and put on any kind of a poll. But the idea is to bring it to Jerusalem, to put it up there, to unite the three faces of Jerusalem in peace also. That's been a vision since 1993 and uh, created the Peace Bowl for Jerusalem. The first version there was some astonishing experiences in 1994 at the spiritual unity gathering there. Which I don't have time to go into now because I see I have about 15 or 20 minutes left. And uh, by the way, if you tried to call in or thinking about calling in, I'm sorry to say that I don't understand this interface well enough, and uh, I'm I'm not able to take call-ins. Um, but next time I'll figure it out, and I will. This is the first of uh, well, this is about the fourth I think pro- podcast I've done. The last I believe I did with Omao, the Hopi uh, leader in Cotavilla with the Coyote Clan, with the same clan as Thomas Manyaka that has the messenger responsibility to bring out the message from the elders, the message of peace from the Hopi. So we had a podcast, and that's online at this station, for an hour in the Rabbi Wash there when I was there about in May. And uh, but after this one today, I'm going to do five more in a row every Wednesday at 3 o'clock Eastern time. And this will be recording on the progress. Um, we Just to finish this part, we 
we did get a proclamation. Uh, uh, one out of 15 mayors responded yes and quickly provided the proclamation of a season of unity, harmony, and peace. Uh, this was the Petersburg mayor, and uh, it was based on a, a template that I provided to the mayor, and it was copied word for word except for the, the last part, and I'd like to read this because this is, in essence, a proclamation an agreement for everybody. Um, anyone who agrees with this can sign this little paper in our flyer and become a card-carrying member of the Great Spirit Relay, relaying this message of the proclamation of a season of unity, harmony, and peace. That's the reason for those t words is that was the last thing my Chimash elder, Art Cisneros, told me before I left. That's the key message, unity, harmony, and peace. So it goes, whereas everyone seeks ways to foster unity, harmony, and peace among all our relations, and whereas the Great Spirit, All My Relations, Relay, Marathon, Walk, and Caravan is being conducted from Santa Barbara, California to the White House to inspire creation of local global peace councils, promoting personal peace through the practice of unconditional love for peace in the communities and peace in the world. And whereas upon its arrival on August 30th, 2018, a ceremony with the president in the circle will be offered featuring the global peace goal symbol of the message of unity, harmony, and peace. And whereas the global peace goal represents the tree of peace, symbol of the great law of peace, the foundation of the Iroquois Confederacy after which American democracy is largely patterned. Now, therefore, I proclaim, and then uh, it's it today to be the beginning of the season of unity, harmony, and peace in my life and in my community and in the, my world, and I hereby encourage all of my friends to embrace the message of peace through love. And witness thereof, I sign like that. So the mayor of Petersburg altered the last part um, to indicate October 24th, 2018, as the beginning of a season of unity, harmony, and peace. So the reason for that date was because that's the United Nations anniversary of the ratification of the United Nations Charter. And our global peace walk in 1995 uh, was to, was focusing on that um, that issue. Um, United Nations Charter was first signed on June 26th in 1945 in San Francisco, and it said that uh, the nations signing this renounced the weapons of mass, among other things. It said that the nations renounced the use of the weapons of mass destruction and warfare. And then a couple of weeks later, in July 16th, the first atomic bomb was exploded, the birthday of the atomic bomb. And then in August, uh, in violation of the United Nations Charter that they had just signed, the U.S. dropped the, the atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki as the first human test. The first was a uranium bomb, which they had tried, tested in Mexico, and the next uh, on Nagasaki was a plutonium bomb that they didn't, never tested. And then they monitored how it all went, and then that scared the dickens out of all the people in the world and kind of herded them into the United Nations. And then on October 24th, 1945, they all ratified the charter of the United Nations. And that's what's marked as UN Day, celebrating the United Nations 
beginning. And uh, so that's why, to bring out this message, we focus every year on October 24th, United Nations Day. And this year, uh, at least the Petersburg mayor has proclaimed that to be the beginning of a season of unity, harmony, and peace. So this year on October 24th, 2018, um, we're going to have a, a special event, which I'll tell you about in a minute. But to finish my story about how we got to the White House, is a, we did, Wayne and I did these 15 cities, and then the last one was Washington, D.C., and then came to Greenbelt Park, Maryland, just 12 miles northeast, northwest of Washington, D.C., and camped for a couple of weeks, um, during which time I tried to pull off a repeat of the August 20th to 28th gathering I pulled together in a small way in, in Arizona with Omao's help um, in the forest south of Flagstaff, a spiritual unity summit. This is following on Thomas Banyaka's message that spiritual unity, that theme is what we need to focus on, spiritual unity. So during that time, a few of us, Feather Sherman, influential uh, powerful lady from the Rainbow Gatherings, and uh, Todd Swan, the videographer, a friend of mine I've known from the gatherings and from my little since 1974, um, gathered in a few people in this camp. And uh, the last day, Jose Munoz brought some people. And with Omar, we had this real powerful ceremony on August 28th. So August 20th to 28th each year, I call the, the annual... White Buffalo Calf, White Buffalo Prophecy Fulfillment Days, Recognition Days, because of the fact that on August 20th, 1994, the first white buffalo calf, a female non-albino white buffalo calf, was born. In apparent fulfillment of the Lakota prophecy from 19 generations ago, from the white buffalo calf pipe woman who left the original sacred pipe and the teachings of the seven rites of the sacred pipe with the people and that original pipe that all the other so-called peace pipes, sacred pipes, really, that the Lakota and other people use now uh, were copied from that original one. That's been passed down from generation to generation for 19 generations to the present keeper of that sacred pipe bundle, Chief Arvo Looking Horse, who's recognized as the kind of title ahead of the Lakota, Dakota, and Nakota nations, um, analogous to how the Dalai Lama is recognized as the title head of the four different orders of Tibetan Buddhism. Um, this is the role of Chief Arvo Looking Horse in maintaining the caretaker of the original sacred pipe. So anyway, when this, uh, during the time, I'm in a noisy parking lot, so... Uh, little noise there. Um, during this time in 1994, uh, after three years of planning as a mutual prophecy fulfillment gathering, inspired by the message of Thomas Banyaka in 1990, uh, some friends of mine, uh, with, with a slight collaboration and inspiration, talking to me over the years before, had organized a, a unity festival. It kind of fell apart. The music part fell apart, and the organizer was criticized for financial mismanagement and all that. But the Rainbow folks pulled it together from the original camp at Big Mountain for a week, 
and started a camp near Kendrick Mountain in near Flagstaff. And June, on August 20th, uh, when that white buffalo calf was born. So this gathering was had the intention of a mutual prophecy fulfillment gathering, and this calf was born the day it started. And then on August 27th, an amazing experience introducing the first version of the Peace Pole for Jerusalem in the Peace Pole procession through the camps uh, with Yamato and other uh, all kinds of other people. And the last one we went to was the Jesus Tent, and we told them this is the Peace Pole for Jerusalem, and these are uh, more or less evangelical Christians from Flagstaff. Oh, they were into it, and they four of them held the Peace Pole, cradling their arms, kneeling down, and then when uh, MC Fantuzzi said, well, uh, I figure out what to say. He says, I think that Jesus was the original. I was raised a Christian. I think Jesus was the original rebel. And as soon as he said that and pointed his hand up to the finger, up to the sky, a big lightning and thunder happened at the same instant. And there was awestruck, couldn't speak for a couple of minutes. And the, the four Jesus guys were had tears running down their face. And then we took it into the main ceremony area where the next day, Thousands of people gathered for a closing ceremony on August 28th with the original Peace Pole for the White House in the center of the circle. And Chief Chief Phil Lane Jr. Uh, performed the sacred pipe ceremony. And uh, somehow I got pushed up to the front with my red lab coat on. And uh, my, right in front of my feet was the, the bowl that he started and finished the pipe ceremony. So... That inspired me so much that I wanted to promote August 20th to 28th every year as the White Buffalo Prophecy Fulfillment Recognition Days. And um, that's why that the dates in 2016, uh, kind of had to abort the attempt to do it in the Hopi land at the Hopi Cultural Center with a link on the video because their snake dance was happening at the same time. And they didn't want to interfere. So at the last minute, we moved to the forest and had a small gathering Trying to repeat that this year in Greenbelt Park, when Wave and I got there, a few people came August 26th. We had a, a, some presentations at the Campfire Circle this year. And then on the, the first, uh, on um, uh, August 30th, pull down to the White House, to the Capitol Mall, took an Uber uh, along with a, uh, one of the campground hosts who's also a very, very accomplished uh, journalist and a historian of journalism, a professor at the university level of the history of the news industry, um, Glenn Wilson. Uh, and he has a, uh, an online, really great online news uh, network that you can check into called newamericanjournal.net, newamericanjournal.net. So he went with us and to cover as a story what we were doing and our ceremony, uh, chanting and beating the drums to, at the White House with the peaceful, offering the peaceful ceremony as promised, having advised the president every way we could ahead of time, emails, everything, um, no response. But uh, we did the prayer anyway and offered it. And that's a nice story that uh, Glenn did with the uh, based on the history of the longest walk and the long walk for survival, camping in Greenbelt Park, where he's also a campground host. He did a really, really nice story, video and pictures of our event and, and talking about the new Peace Bowl for the White House. So then after that, 
uh, you know, I was supposed to go with Wave up to New York and do some things there, but we decided to do this Global Peace Council, I decided, and then have a, come up with a Global Peace Plan and then bring it to the White House and to the United Nations. And that's what I mostly wanted to talk about today, but I've run out of time. So you have to look on the, to um, find out all the details. But the Leonard Peltier Freedom Ride, uh, horseback riders from South Dakota that went to Florida are coming up to meet us November 1st to walk from the Capitol Mall at the David's Tent, D.C. place to the White House to offer the Peace Bowl ceremony again and the Global Peace Plan. And that's the end of the show for today because I've run out of time. Check out that Great Spirit Relay Facebook page for details. Love you all.